I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Glad to have you here, as always. I'm sitting here on the bed in our room in Thailand, where there are huge windows, basically, on like every side of the room, which is a little bit like living in a fishbowl <laughs> as it relates to privacy, because uh, there are bungalows all around, but also gives off the impression that even when you're sitting in bed, you're basically sitting in nature, which is really nice. It'll be funny, uh, this one, this conversation that you're about to hear, I recorded indoors, but a lot of the podcasts that I'm recording have been outside, especially in the mornings when I have to do them super early. Um, so I feel like there will be lots of uh, appearances made by birds and geckos and wind in some of the conversations you hear, hopefully more pleasant than annoying. Uh, today I'm bringing you another conversation with my friend Jenny Kellogg, who has been on the podcast. This will be the fourth appearance, which I think, maybe, maybe the, the girls from Cosmic Tonic have been on just as much, but definitely one of the people who have been featured on the podcast quite a bit, um, which makes me happy because Jenny is a close friend of mine and we share a lot of ideas and philosophies and spiritual beliefs and experiences in common. And it's always such a joy and a pleasure to have her on the show. I was thinking recently, I'm actually doing something. If you don't follow my podcast Instagram, so I have a personal Instagram, which is at Anya.Cots, but then I also have one for the podcast, which is at MGSWPod. So Millennials Guide to Saving the World Pod could not fit that into an Instagram handle. So it's an abbreviation. Um, but I'm revisiting a bunch of past episodes of the show because they are super timeless, uh, these conversations. And yet I know with podcasts, we always like want to listen to the newest, um, most recent thing, which I totally understand. And I do it too, but I felt that these conversations were worthy of being revisited. So I'm sharing some little tidbits and some insights um, and experiences related to the conversations that I had going back to episode one, which was late 2018. Um, and it's been really interesting to reflect on who I had on the show and the types of people that I had on the show and how that's stayed the same or shifted. Um, and I had so many different astrologers on the show when it was first launched. And I feel like I've now transitioned to basically 
just having my friends on who are astrologers because I uh, took part in this astrology apprenticeship uh, several years ago. And so many of them have gone on to do such amazing work and we both got really similar training. So we share, um, we have a lot of like-minded practices and views and um it's nice not that I won't ever have any other astrologers on that aren't my close friends but it's actually feels like such a gift to be able to bring them to all of you and create this amazing network where I'm not giving readings anymore I haven't in a long time but all of them basically do and so they're constantly telling me that listeners of uh this podcast go to them for readings and we're sort of able to create this web and network of connectivity with each other, but also with all of you. So that's amazing. That that makes me feel very thankful and full um, in a myriad of ways. So today, Jenny and I will be talking about the Akashic Records, um, which is something that she has training in and which I really knew nothing about prior to this conversation, aside from my experience getting an Akashic Records reading from her. Uh, what I love about Jenny and what I'm sure you've heard us talk about on the show previously is how much discernment and responsibility and reserve that she brings to a world that I think probably forever, but it seems so loud these days because of social media and because it's cool to be a spiritual person or a spiritual coach at the moment. Um, but I think this world is widely uh, missing discernment and reserve and overly inflated with egos, which is ironic because I think the spiritual world is supposed to be a process in uh, letting go of our ego, but alas, that is not happening whatsoever. Um, and so, you know, one of the many reasons I bring Jenny on all the time to talk about these things is one, because she's my friend, but also because I trust her and because she was such an important mentor um, and guide and example for me in, in navigating these worlds. So this is a topic that it would be really hard for me to talk to basically anyone else about. Uh, I'm sure there are a few people, but because of her groundedness and her judgment, and you'll hear some more of that in our conversation, um, I think it's important to have these conversations and to talk about like these metaphysical realms and our psychic capacities and fields of energy that we can't necessarily see or touch. And these are ideas and concepts and experiences that fill my life quite a bit but which I feel a great deal of protectiveness over. So it makes me really happy to be able to bring people like Jenny to all of you to have responsible, mature, uh, discerning conversations about these topics. Before we get into the conversation, I wanted to talk a little bit about narrative and uh, mythology, which of course is a topic that I return to over and over again, especially for those of you that have taken any of my astrology courses. They are very much grounded in mythology, both in the mythology that exists behind all of the astrological signs and planets, but also in the way that we are engaged in mythologies all the time, every day, minute to minute, um, oftentimes totally unaware that we are. So when I say mythology, it's really unfortunate that we have correlated the world, uh, the word mythology with something that's fake, right? Like it's a myth. It's not true. 
Whereas a mythology is, I think, personally truer than true, maybe not in its specific details. So and you know, so and so did this and then this and then, you know, was a god and did this and that. Like it's not a truth as in a tangible truth, but it's a truth as in a narrative truth. So when we read a book or we watch a movie, especially one that's fiction, but even nonfiction, um, there's a story being presented and we relate to that story and we find truth in that story and relatability in that story, even if it's not an actual true story or even if we can't say that we did those exact things. And the reason I think understanding this is so important is because the stories that we tell through our actions, through the ways that we speak to ourselves and our minds, through the things that we do in our lives to ourselves, to others, to the planet, these things ripple out in ways that sometimes it's hard to imagine that they do. Um, and I like to kind of think about different versions of the same story. So I think one that I've told on the podcast before was I know lots of young people, for example, don't want to have children or are at least skeptical about having children more so than their parents. And one of the things that I hear oftentimes from young people is that I don't want to have children because the planet is dying and it would be horrible for that child to grow up in a destroyed, damaged, dying world. And I understand this, but what if we could change that myth slightly, change the narrative slightly to say, I recognize that the only possibility for the world to survive and to thrive and to flourish, if it is even possible, but let's say that it is, one of the things that I know to be true is that in order for it to do so, that we need less people, fewer people on the planet. And so I am choosing not to have children because I believe that that is part of my participation in potentially helping the earth to survive. So instead of being a victim and saying, I can't have kids because the world is dying, you're basically saying, I would like to be a participant in the possibility that the world might survive. Those are the, it's the same choice. But by slightly changing the narrative a bit, one, it becomes very empowering and the other um, really puts you in a position of victimhood or like you don't have a choice or like everything is hopeless and pessimistic. So I like these slight changes in narrative because how might through those two different stories might we engage with the world, right? How does that story about the fact that the world's dying and we don't want to bring a child into it affect the other ways that we engage with the earth or the planet? Maybe we'd be less likely to plant a garden or spend time outside or do some work that's meaningful to us. Whereas if we take on the other narrative, the second more empowering narrative, maybe we recognize that our actions aren't necessarily going to change anything or fix or change the world, but we feel like an active participant in something. And so maybe we would be more willing to have a garden or build a community, even without hope or agenda for what might happen in the future. So I think it's important to to see the ways in which we tell these stories to ourselves um, for how they make us feel just for their, you know, what they're about in and of themselves, but also how those feelings and those thoughts then ripple out into the ways that we treat ourselves are in relationship to our own minds and our bodies, but also, of course, in relationship to animals and to other people and to the world. And one 
one other example of this um, that I think is interesting, and uh, I promise I'll relate it back to this conversation <laughs> in some way, is around the concept of Fermi's paradox, the Fermi paradox. Um, and so this is a theory created by Enrico Fermi, which is basically that using a lot of mathematical, astronomical um, calculations that we can pretty much understand that there are millions and billions, I don't actually know what the number is, but a ridiculous, ridiculously high amount of um, solar systems that have the potential for life. So if we calculate X amount of um, stars have planets orbiting around them, and then X amount of those planets are uh, in the right dimension relationship to the sun to sustain life, then it makes sense to say that there should be extraterrestrial life. There should be life on many, 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 many other planets. But then the question becomes, if that's so, scientifically, where are they? And why haven't they made contact with us? And why haven't we been able to make contact with them? And we could also assume that potentially where all, all of these different planets or the species on these planets are at different levels of evolution as far as their intelligence and scientific knowledge and ability, that clearly some of these species should be able to have the technology in order to find us. And yet we've never, we've never found them and they've never found us. And so there are multiple theories as to why this is. And I want to present a couple of different um, of these theories and show how much they could potentially affect the way we engage with the world. So one of the most common um, explanations for the Fermi paradox is called the Great Filter. And this theory is basically that if we look at our world, we can see how there is a huge potentiality for us to destroy ourselves via technology. So, and we can look back in history at other kinds of civilizations who may have not destroyed themselves through technology, but through, you know, being too big, consuming too much, and destroying themselves in the process. And, um, of course, we're the only, like, human civilization we have an example of, so to me this seems like a little bit, uh narcissistic to project our own experience of the world onto billions of other potential species out there. But given the, you know, capitalist, consumerist culture that we live in, I understand why we, why we might do this. And it's a very strange thing, right? Because on the one hand, what we're saying is these species grow so much and develop so much and discover all of this intelligence and this science and these technologies and they destroy themselves and that sounds bad but also it doesn't prevent us from stop stopping doing it like we're doing it in real time and so we're basically saying we're doing this thing which will inevitably likely lead to our destruction but I would just imagine that that's why we don't find any other, you know, extraterrestrial life because they've probably all done the same thing. So it's just like very strange, maybe realistic, but also kind of defeatist um, and bizarre approach to take. And then there's another idea that was uh, first introduced to me by Chris Ryan, who I think probably came up with this theory, which is that what if there was a different explanation? What if the explanation was that, yes, maybe these civilizations are more 
advanced. And when I say advanced, I mean more like enlightened than us. And what if they've gotten to the point, maybe via experience, maybe via witnessing other species destroy themselves by means of overconsumption and overpopulation and growth and technology, etc. And what if they've recognized after all of that time and all of that effort that they actually have everything they need and they don't need to farm and they don't need to produce billions of children and they don't need to hoard resources and maybe they just sort of stay living as hunter-gatherer tribes. So it's not necessarily that this species isn't capable of growing as large as we have and destroying themselves, but they've chosen not to. And then how does accepting that theory into our own lives affect the, the way that we interact with our planet now? One, in my mind, gives us the excuse to keep going on the bullshit path we're on, the other makes us think a little bit more about what it is that we really need and what it is that we really want and what choices do we actually have. Like, we're not being led blindly down the path of species destruction um, or ecocide. We do have a choice. I, I'm not proposing that our personal choice in this regard is actually going to move the needle for the entire planet, Uh but in our personal lives, we certainly have a choice, and one could argue that if there was enough people, enough of a majority of people that changed their mind about this and took a different course of action, that things could change. But this is what happens when we don't engage intentionally with the mythologies that underpin our lives. I spoke about this in great depth in my conversation with uh, Timo, my friend who I met in Guatemala and posted a podcast with. He is obsessed with mythology just as much as I am, and particular the ways w in which we enact mythologies w without knowing it. Or we just keep arguing against someone else's mythology, but we're not taking it upon ourselves to create our own. And when I say create our own mythology, this can also be expressed in a myriad of ways. It means living an individuated, honest, and authentic life. And maybe it's overly optimistic, but I do think that our truest, most authentic self is good. And if we were just given permission or the love that we needed as a child or the support and the container in which to explore ourselves and explore what we wanted to explore, that inherently the thing that we would choose would be good for ourselves, for all people, for all animals and for the planet. I don't think any of us were like born CEOs of Exxon, right? This is a culturally imposed phenomenon. And so if we could take a few steps back and really recognize the power and autonomy that we have in creating our own narrative, our own origin myth, our own path for how we want to walk forward, that's fucking amazing. And again, I used to believe more that if we did those things, that we could really affect the world in a profound way. And maybe that's possible, but it's no longer the reason I do it. I don't do it because I think it's going to change the world. I think that's incredibly selfish and unrealistic and egoic. So maybe I can affect my little world, you know, whatever that is. Um, that would be the best I could do. But at the very least, it makes me feel happier 
And I think we need people who feel happier in the world if we're ever going to have any chance at changing things for the better. And so I bring this up in the intro to this episode because Jenny and I are speaking about entering into metaphysical or extrasensory realms of the subconscious or the unconscious, which are inherently subjective, right? We can apply our own filters, our own experience, the stories we've ha uh, heard, the traumas we've experienced. We can, you know, make decisions about who we are and the choices we make. We have a profound power over this. And oftentimes we're operating subconsciously. So we're like allowing our shadow or unprocessed trauma to guide us without even knowing it. And we stay stuck and we repeat patterns and blah, blah, blah. But this is a really profound opportunity, I think, for us to any question you have about who I am and why am I here or what am I supposed to do in the world or what would make me the most happy. It is my experience and belief that we hold the answers to these questions inside us. And if we can just take enough of the rocks away, rocks being societal influence, cultural influence, unprocessed trauma, and a desire to stay stuck and our own lies that we tell to ourselves and narcissism, etc., etc. If we take enough of those rocks off, we can guide our path in an extremely intentional, authentic, and individuated way. But that's a great power to have. And of course, with great power comes great responsibility. And so if we decide that we can, you know, the thing that everyone says on the internet, like opt out of the matrix, <laughs> um, we can make that decision in a myriad of ways, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're being responsible with that decision or realistic with that decision or generous with that decision of what we do. I mean, you know, especially intelligent people have the ability to rationalize just about anything and make excuses for just about any behavior and, ma and make it sound really smart and sound even when it isn't. So I wanted to bring this up to say on the one hand, let's please recognize our power to create our own mythology and to walk new paths and to intentionally move through the world authentically and in an individuated manner. But at the same time, be incredibly, incredibly discerning and take that power and add an equal cup of responsibility to it and question yourself, not to the point of being stuck or feeling ashamed, but question yourself enough to make sure you're being, you're acting in integrity. And that's not a thing you master and then you got it. To me, that's an ongoing process that lasts life, our, our present lifetime or potentially many, many lifetimes, uh, which Jenny and I will expand upon. So I will say no more for now. I will play this episode with Jenny. If you would like to support the podcast, we have a thriving community on Patreon, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. Um, in exchange for a small donation that you make to the podcast, uh, it helps keep this podcast ad-free. It helps me be able to keep doing this because this podcast is free and I don't have sponsors and I don't plan to, so I really need your support. 
Um, and also when you give your support, you're not only helping the podcast stay alive, but you're also giving yourself a really, really beautiful, amazing, creative and intelligent and inspiring community. Uh, the people that are in my, uh, that support my podcast on Patreon have met each other in real life, have supported each other in a myriad of ways. Um, it's beautiful. They're all real friends in real life. I'm real friends in real life with them as well. And I want to be real friends with you in real life. Um, so we have a discord server. We do, uh, workshops that are hosted by myself and other patrons. So we get to share knowledge. There's a book club. We're currently reading memories, dreams, reflections by Carl Jung stickers, playlists, all sorts of things to get you connected to a world of people that are just like you, which we need more of. So along those same lines of mythologies, I think we tend to think that like, oh, I need to buy land and build this thing, this house or this space. And, you know, I don't really have the resources to create community for myself. And so we don't meet people or make an effort to meet people at all because we think it's unattainable. And yet it really isn't. That's an ideal. That sounds amazing. I hope to be able to do that in my life. But in the meantime, we can create community in unconventional, digital and remote ways that will hopefully lead to in-person connections and, you know, taking that community and actually creating a physical, tangible space. We don't need to start there and having people who are like-minded and like us make us feel a lot better. Um, I speak from experience. These, as I've said before, I kind of started this podcast because I had no friends and I didn't know where to find them. And so I thought, well, maybe if I pick up a microphone and start talking about my thoughts and opinions that people will come and it worked. Uh, and this podcast has brought me more friends and connections than I could have ever imagined. So I have all of you to thank for that. I have an exciting announcement coming soon uh, to Patreon as well, something that I'm going to be offering in 2022, uh, but uh, keeping that a secret for now. But it's coming. Lots of new things. I like sort of changing the perks and the benefits of Patreon to keep it interesting. What will always stay the same, though, is definitely the Discord server and probably the book club. Um, but who knows, there might be new and exciting perks being offered soon. So patreon.com slash Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. Okay, I'm going to play you in with a song called A Spark, A Beginning by Core, C-O-R-R-E. It's funny always picking songs for this podcast because I feel like so many of the songs I listen to are lyricless, like, meditation songs. <laughs> um... I find myself listening to a playlist actually that I created for my patrons uh, called Tea Writing and Meditation. Um, this is one of the many playlists you get when you become a patron, but it has tons and tons of songs that are just like this, really relaxing uh, and put me into a meditative state no matter what I'm doing, if I'm cooking or taking a walk or walking through an airport. Um, so ironically, these are the types of songs I listen to the most, but I know I would bore all of you if I only played, uh, like slow classical, um, esoteric music on the podcast. But since today's topic of discussion is in that realm, I figured why the fuck not? Um, and I like the title of this one and I like the concept of a spark and a beginning as related to starting over and creating a new origin myth for ourselves and the way that we move through the world. So Enjoy the song, enjoy this conversation, and I will catch you all on the other side.
here i'm across the world from jenny um but we are somehow connecting via technology today and i'm really excited to have jenny kellogg back on the podcast what is it that your third time i think it's my fourth fourth oh you're gonna have to get me a five timers club jacket seriously if that happens after the fifth time you definitely like win on that one <laughs> i yeah. win definitely you yeah win. i love you win being it here all. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really excited to have you back on. I really enjoy our conversations. And, uh, for those listening, if you have not heard Jenny on the podcast before, I recommend going back. Um, she's someone who I feel blends a great deal of like groundedness and sanity into the realm of often ungrounded, uh, spirituality, which I really appreciate. (laughs) Um, And today should be no different. Uh, We're going to hopefully have a very uh, interesting and grounded discussion about um, the Akashic Records, uh, which is something that um, Jenny does and I know basically nothing about, although I have gotten an Akashic uh, Records reading from her. So I do know Mm -hmm. that much um, and the experience was great, but I really don't know the history of it and... 
um, also don't really know uh, your story about how you got involved and got started. So why don't we start there? I, I know you've been involved in, you know, spiritual worlds and realms for a long time. And we met in our astrology apprenticeship. Um, mm-hmm. But I know when we sort of talked about this before that the Akashic records were something that actually like you were kind of skeptical about. Um, yeah, definitely. So would love to hear like how you found out about them and um, what intrigued you. And then we can kind of get into what they are. Yes. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. So my experience with the Akashic records is, uh, was very familiar to me in the sense that I've had this experience multiple times in my life where my first impression of something was completely negative. And I had this immediate reaction like, oh no, that thing is not for me. This is a truth I um, observed about myself in college when I would meet someone and think, oh, I'd never be friends with them. They're not my type of person. <laughs> and then two days later, I'd be like, no, I really like them. You know, my, lo- my locker is right next to this girl I said I'd never be friends with yeah. in, the, in the locker room. And that was really my experience with the Akashic Records. And it came from a person that um, in 2018, I went to a highly technical Hellenistic astrology workshop. And I sat down on the first day next to, I just grabbed a random seat. And I sat down to this woman and she turned to me and she said, Hi, I'm so-and-so. My Akashic Records reader told me that I should pay attention to who sat down next to me on the first day. (laughs) And I thought, okay, what's going to happen here? And the experience between myself and this other person was actually quite fraught and difficult. Mm -hmm. And I was like, my mind kept going, what is this Akashic Records thing? What does she know about me? Why is this relationship so difficult? And I just couldn't figure it out. I just put it on a shelf. I just set it aside, compartmentalized it in my mind, and I didn't know what the Akashic records were. And then six months later, a close friend of mine said, I got an Akashic records reading and it was incredible. And you appeared in the reading again, like this was like another thing, like you were there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was like, how is this possible? Why do I keep showing up in other people's Akashic records sessions? And what is it? I thought it was like, some esoteric new age form of a psychic reading. Right. Um, which is, you know, probably somewhat accurate, um, <laughs> as we'll go through today. But I just couldn't figure out what it was. Um, and so my friend said, no, you really need to check this out. Mm. Um, and so I scheduled a session with a person that he had had a reading with who ended up being one of the teachers in the group I study with now. Mm. And in that session, I'm a longtime meditator. And when the uh, person giving me the session opened my Akashic records, I felt like I had been meditating for an hour. Like my body instantly went into a slightly altered state of consciousness or a sense of deep connectedness spiritually. Mm. And that was my first clue that this is something significant. And I think for me, that was the proof that I needed because I'm very adept at, at discerning what's happening to my body and my mind and, um, and being in meditative states. Mm. And so 
that really piqued my curiosity. Like, how is that possible? What, what could happen there? Um, and in that first session, I think it was a very typical Akashic record session where all kinds of information and um, yeah, information, I guess I would say, and feelings came through about myself that were just kind of miraculous. Like, how does she even know these things about myself, my, mm. my relationships, my health, my spiritual path? Um, in the reading, she talked about my spirit guides. And she nailed it. Like she really, you know, she saw my gurus and things like that in the session. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was like, how is this possible and what's happening here? <laughs> um, and so that person invited me to take her course. But I should step back for a moment and say that um, after that session, it took me a really long time to integrate. Because that question, how is this possible and what was happening and all of the information, mm -hmm. um, about myself, it was, it was mind blowing and a little overwhelming. Plus I still had that question about the meditative state that I entered, mm. um, when she opened my Akashic records. And so it took me two or three months to, to integrate that. And then my teacher sent me an email out of the blue and said, I'm teaching a course to, 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 um, to teach you how to open your own Akashic records. And I said, no, I can't do it. It was like, again, the no. Right. It was like, I'm still not over that last experience. I'm not sure I'm ready for this. And I was also going to spend the entire summer in Greece working with refugees. And I thought, I don't have time and space for this class. Yeah. So, but she insisted and she was like, you don't have to attend live, blah, blah, blah. And so I just did it. And I went to Greece, I learned how to open my records, and then I would sit on the beach in Greece at night at the end of the day and just, like, do the, the course homework. <laughs> and that was, like, a completely mind-blowing, again, experience where um, I started to go into a deeper meditative state, again, in a very... Um, in, a, in a place where I wasn't, like, deeply meditating, you know, I was at a busy beach at the end of the day in Greece. Yeah. And so in when I would do that, I would, you know, I started reviewing past lives that were related to where I was in the moment in Greece, for example, mm. um, in my meditations and in, in, in doing the homework for the class. And that was just incredible. Um, and one of the things that that experience brought me um, was I kept hearing this phrase that I had to, quote, open the rainbow bridge because the Akashic records are very detailed. The information that you get, and I'll talk more about this later, is very tailored to where you are in the moment and what you need. Mm. And so I was sitting on the beach hearing this phrase in my inner ear, I had to open the rainbow bridge, and I didn't know what it was. Um, and I was really stressed out about that. Like, I knew it was something very important, but I couldn't figure <laughs> out what it was. Yeah. And I'll come back to this point, but, you know, we we think about the Akashic Records as a database of um, of everything, every thought, emotion, experience, and intention of your soul through all lifetimes. Hmm. 
but it's very specific. Like you get the information you need in that moment. It's not just randomly Googling. Right. So when I heard this phrase, the rainbow bridge, it took me a year to figure out what it was. <laughs> it took me a year of Googling yeah. and t- testing and trying to figure out, am I, am I doing this thing that I know I need to do? Um, and eventually I found the, med- the rainbow bridge meditation technique, which I now teach. Ah. But anyway, that's just a yeah. <laughs> stream of consciousness. Um, so I want to talk backing up a little bit because I think what you're describing as far as like having this gut reaction of like, oh no, that isn't for me or I'm not going to get along with that person and then realizing that you are. I feel like there's so much about spirituality in general, but I think the Akashic Records in particular that I'm assuming requires a good deal of like discernment and judgment um, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you've thought about that because you are someone who I feel like has, is able to kind of take this sort of like grounded, realistic, non ascensiony approach <laughs> to spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, like, do you think that that quality about you, that sort of initial judgment, like plays into this, um, personality trait of yours? Like, have you thought about mm-hmm. what that that quality is and why that happens so frequently. Yeah. I think that one of my goals in this lifetime is discernment. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something I value tremendously. And we've talked previously about the difference between skepticism and discernment. You know, Mm -hmm. skepticism says like, it's not true or I won't believe it until it's proven to me, Um, which is a valid way to go through the world. It's just not mine. Um, whereas discernment is like, I'm trying to assess through both my intellect and my intuition, part of which is embodied, what is really happening in the moment Mm. and what is, um, right for me in the moment and what feels true to me. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, ironically, the, my practice of working in the Akashic Records for myself and for my clients really does help to increase my discernment because um, you're, as I said previously, and I'll say again, like you are receiving tailored information, um, but still the information is frequently about um, past lives or other lives or about things your ancestors have experienced you know, it's a, it's a, um, sometimes overwhelming, hard to prove spiritual set of information. Right. And if you don't use your own discernment to, to notice what's happening for you when you receive that information, um, just as I was saying before, like the first time I heard about the Akashic records, I was like, mm, I'm not sure about this, yeah. you know, and I had a really, um, difficult interaction with the person who told me her Akashic Records reader saw me. Yeah. Um, and so I had to like discern, well, was that because of the Akashic Records or was that because of my interactions with this person, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Or like, interestingly, all kind of leading you toward approaching this 
with even more discernment, right? Like, okay, that person was like a little questionable and, but this thing keeps coming into my world. And so I'm again, being sort of ultra discerning and skeptical, although I agree that's not a great word, but approaching with caution, I guess. Um, yeah, and not exactly. Just sort of believing what someone says or getting carried away in the sort of, which is so easy. I mean, and so unfortunate because I think when we're open to these sorts of practices, it's easy to get carried away and to be like, yes, that makes total sense without really actually thinking it through. Um, so. Yes. And I mean, the information that I received in that first session about things my soul had experienced in different realms and, you know, what was the purpose of my life from a higher perspective, those things could have made sense, but it was hard to to reconcile with the life I was leading in mm-hmm. the moment. And that took a lot of time to say, at what level am I going to accept this and what do I do with this information? Right. So let's define what the Akashic (laughs) records are. Yes. So I have prepared several definitions for your listeners. Perfect. So I'm part of a group of Akashic records teachers called the Akashic Alliance. And I'll start with our one sentence definition, uh, which is, The Akashic Records are a dynamic reservoir of information, including every thought, emotion, experience, and intention of your soul through all lifetimes. And for me, the the definition of your soul through all lifetimes is based on my own spiritual worldview, which is that when we uh, become a soul, it's because we have... um, I guess decided is the word I want. We have decided to experience ourselves as um, splitting off from the one absolute divine. And so the Akashic Records contains all of our experiences as a soul that has had incarnations uh, separate from the absolute divine. Mm. And some of those Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, let's uh, maybe to also like define soul specifically um, and maybe how that differs from spirit or uh, I know that's like such a broad topic to unpack, but how, how would you sort of define what a soul is? So um, a lot of people use spirit as a synonym for God, right? especially in the new age world, like spirit with a capital S. Mm. Um So what I mean by soul is um, a spark of individuality that chooses to express itself uh, in an individual consciousness Mm. that that has a perceived separation between the absolute divine. And this soul is um, constant in the sense that like there's one soul, there's not many souls that I have. I have one soul. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but that soul experiences itself many, many times through incarnations on different planes. Right now I'm perceiving myself on the physical plane and we can get into that in a moment. Um, but I could also experience myself as a soul on other planes of existence. Mm. And, um, yeah, so spirit is more to me, more of an, um, undefined term yeah 
that really stands in for the divine. And in astrology, soul versus spirit, right? Like soul is often associated with the moon, whereas spirit is often associated with the sun. And I feel like there's some kind of like Mm -hmm. subjective quality to the soul wherein like we are the journey in and of itself, like what we're being asked to do is to discover what that individuation is or, or unpack Mm -hmm. what we need to unpack in order to get to where we're going or, but there's sort Mm -hmm. of like a, it's not super clear, right? Like we have to do a lot of digging in order to figure out who we are and what we're doing and, and what is, you know, true or not, right? Like, where is it that, and not that subjectivity is untrue, um, but to kind of, again, like use this idea of discernment in order to kind of like sort through the, the chaos of our, um, our, yeah, our subjective experiences and subjective identity. Mm-hmm. Yes. In order to discern the soul underneath, you might say. Right. Yeah. Um, and most spiritual traditions would say, that we experience um, ourselves as a separate soul for a series of lifetimes until we are ready to be done with that experience, you might say, and merge back into the absolute. And that would be the goal of um, Buddhist or Hindu practices is to get off of the reincarnational wheel and uh, realize your oneness again Mm. with the divine. Got it. So, where should we go from there? This whole idea of soul. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to let you take the lead on continuing to expand. <laughs> yeah. So um, I also want to say that there are Akashic records for literally everything, mm-hmm. not just humans, animals, things, land, property, ideas, concepts, and archetypes. And um, there's a contemporary philosopher and systems theory thinker. His name is Irvin Laszlo, and that's going to be one of the books that I recommend at the end of the podcast. So, so um, I love it. <laughs> Irvin Laszlo has written a bunch of books about the Akashic records or what he calls the Akashic field. Mm. And um, he basically says the Akashic field is part of his integral theory of everything in creation. And I'll just read his definition of the Akashic records here for you now. And this comes from the book Science and the Akashic Field. Akasha is a Sanskrit word meaning ether, all pervasive space, originally signifying radiation or brilliance. In Indian philosophy, Akasha was considered the first and most fundamental of the five elements, the others being vata air Agni fire, op water, and prithivi earth. Akasha embraces the properties of all five elements. It is the womb from which everything we perceive with our senses has emerged and into which everything will ultimately redescend. The Akashic record is the enduring record of all that happens and has ever happened in the whole of the universe. So that's how you can have an Akashic record for the building that you own um, or a concept like the soul. And ideally, you know, you and I could do a session where we open the Akashic record for the soul 
which might be a lot of energy and information to contain. <laughs> but if we wanted to research the idea of the soul in the Akashic records, we could do that as well. Right. So this idea of ether, I mean, obviously we mm -hmm. talk about and discuss and understand the elements of fire, air, earth, and water quite a bit. Why is it that we, many of us have no idea what ether is? Like, why has that gotten lost? Um, my understanding of this, and this is, comes from listening to some podcasts with um, scientists who study uh, our, our body's energy fields. But my understanding is that up until about the 1940s, the idea of ether was a standard part of scientific practice. Mm. And um, there were many early modern scientists and scientists of the 1900s who studied ether. And don't quote me on this, but I believe that Nikola Tesla, and I bet many of your listeners are could be um, devotees of Nikola Tesla, studied the idea of ether. But at some point, um, around, maybe around the 1950s, it became discounted as an outmoded idea or as something um, not, not up to current scientific standards, and it was rejected. And that's one of the things that Irvin Laszlo does, is he restores the idea of ether as, and he relates it to current um, quantum physics. Mm. And he relates the idea of ether to an entangled, holographic, non-local connecting information field in the cosmos. Yeah. And so I guess also, I mean, uh, you know, as the scientific revolution got going, um, which obviously started a long time ago, but as it continued to and as sort of these more spiritual ideas, you know, we basically stopped uh, prioritizing or seeing anything that couldn't be proven as true, right? So I imagine like, okay, well, mm -hmm. fire, air, right. water, like exactly. at the very least, yes, they have a symbolic quality and like that's what, you know, the point of all of that is, but they do, you can see them, you can touch them, you can feel them, there's a tangibility to them and this is intangible, it seems. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, so, so basically what you're saying is like, you know, cause I've seen people and I didn't even know this actually, because I know you gave me a reading. And so I thought this was mostly about like information about a person or about a person's soul, but mm -hmm. you could do an Akashic records reading for anything. Could you do it for an astrology transit, for example? Like, could you do it for a period of time or is it like more specific to like a place or a person or a thing that is tangible? I think you could do it for an astrology transit. Um, you know, one, sometimes people ask about things in their sessions. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of, our friends, I did a session for her and she asked me about Saturn and we kind of went into the Akashic records of Saturn mm. and that was an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, but yes, um, I think you could do it for a period of time though in the Akashic records, there is no time. Right. So you would need to 
you know, you would probably want to do that in order to understand better the concept of time or what is happening on this plane right. in terms of time. Yeah, like I saw someone doing like an Akashic Records reading for like the new moon and I wasn't sure if that was like legit or not. Yeah, um, my feeling is there really needs to be a strong reason why you're opening the Akashic Records for that thing. Mm. Um, in my experience, um, opening for things has been for things that I own and want to to help deal with, help me deal with them. Like I owned a commercial building that I was trying to sell, and I opened the Akashic Records for that building and. It told me where all of the negative energy in the building was mm. and how to clear it. Um, but so so just doing it abstractly, like for the new moon, honestly, what that person might be doing is opening like the Akashic records for the group of people who will read wow. that Instagram post and she may be channeling the information that that group needs, which I think is a legit way to work. And, um, frankly, I do that often. Um, I open the Akashic records for my email newsletter as I write, right. That's my secret. <laughs> so that I speak That's why to, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. So that I speak to what the people reading it need. And, right. you know, it's kind of like connecting to my higher mind and, and trying to speak from that place. Right. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, so in some of the notes that you sent me, you talked about mm -hmm. how the Akashic plane is informational and neutral, mm -hmm. which right. makes sense to me in some respect, but of course, interesting in the sense that in order to access the neutral information, it's going through a person who's interpreting it subjectively. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. That's such an important point to note. Yeah. Like I am not an a, a, an impartial uh, finding aid that you might use in the library. Yeah, I'm a person, and you, um, the information is coming through the filter of my mind, my and myself, my body, mm -hmm. um, and so what comes out is definitely shaped by who I am, what my experiences have been, my own language. I mean, sometimes the language that comes out is very specific to the person that I'm working with, but it still needs to filter through my brain. Like if I haven't heard a word, yeah, I can't say it yeah. usually. Right. <laughs> I haven't spontaneously been speaking in tongues just right. yet. Yeah. But on our next episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah, which must be, I mean, I guess there's so many different ways to take this too, but I'm I'm wondering, I mean, obviously, like, when you give any kind of a reading, whether it's like a general psychic reading or an Akashic Records reading or an astrology reading or even a therapy session, all of this is funneled through the subjective experience and opinion and, you know, mm -hmm. life of that person who's relaying the information. Um but I wonder too, I mean, like what your experience of doing the readings are, um, as far as 
you know, responsibility or like, mm-hmm. does it sometimes feel overwhelming or, um, yeah, like burdened by responsibility, um, or a lack of assuredness or <laughs> any of those things? Yeah. So I want to start out by saying, yes, those are things that are definitely challenges in this line of work. Um, and for me, what is fundamental is my training with the Akashic Alliance, mm. that um, the methods that the Akashic Alliance founders brought through from the Akashic records work fundamentally with a couple of important um, important aspects that create the setup before I give anyone uh, a session. Mm. The first of those is working through the energy of the heart chakra and connecting my heart and the client's heart to the divine, um, which we visualize as the absolute light of source. And to me, that makes this practice devotional. And what I mean by that is I am offering my heart to the divine and in service to the client. Hmm. Um, And so that sets up a sacred space for the session that is both grounded And it contains a boundary in it. We use the idea of a heart light circle, um, which I visualize in my client sessions as a circle of light. And everything that happens in that session comes into the circle of light. And I'm just the facilitator. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one important for actually, it's the most important thing for me um, because I am offering myself fully to the divine as a channel. Um, and what comes through me is not, it's not based on my preferences. It's not based on what I think should happen. And so when I get into that space, I set myself aside. Now you're right that it's still the information and everything in the session has to come through me and I'm human and I have, I can have my own subjective reaction to everything that comes through me. And in the session, I receive the information using my extra sensory perceptions. So um, clairvoyance, which would be an inner vision, clairaudience, which would be hearing words and phrases and information in my ear, claircognizance, which is knowing things that I can't, that I don't know prior to beginning the session. And even sometimes I have tastes in my mouth. Hmm. Um and I'm clairsentient, very clairsentient, so I feel people's emotions in my body. Now, all of that, I could have a really strong personal reaction to. And um, I have to be present to myself and to what's coming through me. And I try to be as reasonably present with the client as I can and what's happening for them, mm. um, which is a bit of a difficult balance, I guess I'll say. <laughs> um But I also love it because I do get to completely set myself aside and I have to trust that every time I show up, I don't know what's going to happen and I'm just fully putting myself in service to the divine as a channel. Mm. And I mean, when you have a session with me, I'm a very careful and um, I think people would often describe me as reserved 
<laughs> person. And so this challenges my caution and my reserve like nothing else. Right. Because I, I have to express through my voice everything that I receive in the session to be of service. And I don't know how the client's going to react. So there are times when I'm very cautious, like this is what I'm receiving, you know, um, and just the messenger. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but I've learned, you know, I've done something like 150 sessions in the last year. I've learned that it's almost always the information that comes through is what the client needs to hear. Yeah. And if they have a strong reaction, that's, that's okay. And that's on them as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I literally have not premeditated anything I'm going to say, so I can't be too upset based on how the person reacts. Yeah. So I'd also love to just like break down like what the differences are between an Akashic Records reading versus a psychic reading, let's say, um, Mm -hmm. and then also a past life regression. Um, Sure. And I, and obviously like, each of those things are going to be, you know, not an every psychic, whatever that even means, would define what they do in the same way. But generally right. speaking, because I think those other two um, types of services are more common, how does this, um, how is this different? So typically when you go to a psychic, they are also using their own um, extrasensory perception and their own psychic abilities and gifts. Yeah. Um, and you may go to a psychic with a set of questions or intentions, but it's not clear whether the psychic is tapping into the Akashic field. Some are, some are not. And they're really kind of just pulling information from different sources, what they pick up, you know, depending on who the person is. And just oftentimes kind of giving that information without a lot of, um, without checking with the client in terms of, is this what your, your intention is, or is this what you need? Um, it's just kind of pulling from anywhere and, and offering it. Um, right. The, what was the, oh, the past life regression. Yeah. Um, a past life regression, there are some, there's been a lot of um, refinement in the techniques of past life regressions over the last 50 years, I would say. And there are a lot of incredible practitioners of past life regressions. Um, it's something like a hypnosis. One of the big differences in between Akashic Records and a past life regression is that in the Akashic Records sessions I do, the client is awake and alert and aware. Yeah. Whereas in a past life regression, you may be regressed or put under a state of hypnosis in order to be the one who remembers your past lives. They can be very long and detailed, go into, you know, all kinds of things like every detail of your life. What are you wearing? What time, what time in, you know, what time in space are you in, right. et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in an Akashic record session, we work with past lives that are relevant to this moment. And we, Um, most frequently I would say we work with past lives in order to clear or compost negative or detrimental emotions and experiences that are still affecting you today 
from that past life. And my objective would be to heal and clear that um, it's almost like static on the line mm-hmm. of your personality or your experiences in this lifetime. And so we really don't, I mean, I can get basic information. You're in Italy in 1607 and you're this person. And, you know, sometimes I can get very detailed information. It really depends on the client and what their intention is, what's happening in the session. But I'm receiving it. The client isn't usually unless they are, um, you know, have their own clairvoyant abilities or they're tapped into that in the moment. Um, And it's really just to... um, get the relevant information in response to their questions. And the third important difference between the Akashic records and a psychic reading or past life regression is that an Akashic record session is really like querying the database of your soul. And when you come to the session, you should come prepared with questions and intentions. If you don't have strong questions and intentions, I don't know what where to go. Right. I don't just channel and dump that information for people. There's too much. Yeah. Um, and also, I think what was interesting, I mean, I think what actually probably allowed me to feel open to getting a reading like this from you was the past life regression I did. And I did one of them. Um, and I think a, a major difference, too, is that generally, although I could be wrong, but at least in the one that I did, the 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 information was coming from me. So she was asking me questions um, like, where are you? What are you doing? Who is that? What's going Mm -hmm. on? And I was the one providing the information. Whereas with the Akashic records reading, it could be examining similar experiences or situations or lives, but the information isn't coming from me. It's coming from you. Um, Right. And yeah, and it was, it it was fascinating when I did the past life regression that I did. And I mean, sort of similarly, I went with, she sort of asked me about like, who were like very prominent people in my life at the time, like maybe something that I wanted to explore relative to those people. Um, And of course, I, I totally went in with like this very, like, in like egoic inflated idea of the information I was going to receive <laughs> um, <laughs> and had all these hunches as to like, Oh yeah, like this is who I think I was in a past life. And I like want <laughs> this like confirmation to like do all these important things in this life. Um, and anyway, the information I got, which was like brought through by me, right? Like <laughs> not even from her was so, I mean, kind of embarrassing and like not at all what I thought it was going to be and sort of like full of a lot of shame that I needed to unpack and yeah, um, really, I mean, excruciatingly like potent and relatable and um, yeah. important, but like I sort of was really appreciative. Like it, what, I didn't leave the session being like, oh yeah, I'm the shit. I've been all these important <laughs> people. It was like, oh my God, I like was like a you know, closeted homosexual child molester, like, holy shit, you know, I mean, that's like a little extreme, but like, basically, it was like that big of a difference between what I thought. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that was really interesting to me that to sort of 
have important questions and want to explore something and work through something, but then really opening your mind up to having zero expectations. Um, and I think that's mm -hmm. sort of what I experienced both in that situation and with you, um, mm -hmm. which makes me feel like there's some legitimacy to it because it doesn't really align with what my ego might want it to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Have you had, I mean, you said that there are times when like you get this information, um, about yourself or from people that like make little to no sense at the time. Have you had experiences where you sort of reveal something to someone that makes no sense and then they kind of come back to you later and, say like oh shit you know I figured this out or I don't know if you have any specific yeah. examples of that but that kind of experience that like because the information is just like kind of random in a way or um it's just words or thoughts or tastes or feelings that it might take some time to really like sort through what that all means yeah definitely in the moment um I generally receive information and channel quite quickly. Hmm. So for me, it's like kind of a race to like get it all out. Right. Um, and so oftentimes clients go back and listen to the recording or, or it's overwhelming in the moment. And then the specific words, the specific information that's shared really touches them and makes more sense. Um, a specific example might be recently, um, one of the things that happens in these sessions is we often do ancestral clearing and the answer to a question a client might have relates to um, an issue that's been handed down through the generations. And oftentimes the client doesn't know that that issue is a problem. Hmm. And so I recently met with a client for the second session and in her first session we had done an ancestral clearing and the records were very specific about what the issue was and how many generations back it went. And the client went and asked her grandmother about this, saying, I've never heard about this. Is this true? Where did this come from? And the grandmother said, yeah, everybody in my generation and before me knows about this issue. Uh, and they counted, and it was like exactly seven generations back, according wow. to what the records had said. So, yeah, I mean, I, I that was a wonderful example because it was actually verifiable. Right. Um you know, with a lot of this information, you really, again, need to use your discernment, journal about it, reflect on it, and see, you know, how it feels to you and, and, and how you can make sense of that even without having it be able to be verified. Right. And what would you say, like, as far as going to get a reading from someone versus learning how to do this? by yourself and is there a certain type of person that you would recommend do one or the other um and you know as someone that does this do you also get your records read by other people and what's the benefit of that um mm -hmm. yeah so i think as my example shows i mean i was a very spiritual person who was willing to try all kinds of readings and divinations and everything under the sun yeah but this was something I was still really skeptical about, and I would not have tried it for myself if I hadn't had a session first. Right. 
So I do think getting a reading with someone that you trust first is a good way to start because it starts to open up your mind and your awareness um, to, to the Akashic field and to the potential of the session. Um, and it also, I also believe that when the, the reader or person giving you the session, we call them facilitation sessions in my modality, when that person opens your records for the first time, it starts to allow more of the Akashic field to come into your awareness. Mm. And it's kind of like, um, yeah, sort of breaking the seal, you might say, on that source of information for you. Um, and then in terms of learning to, to access for yourself, um, it's an incredible process of beginning to trust yourself, trust your intuition. Um, anyone can develop what we call their clairs, the extrasensory perception, and um, it's, you know, it's not just that I'm some special magical being. Um, when you learn to access your own Akashic records, it's like tuning into your own higher mind and uh, your higher self, if you like that phrase, and or your soul and getting perspective on all of your questions in life. The thing I love about the Akashic Alliance method and the course that I'm going to be teaching, um, learn to access and explore your Akashic records coming February 5th. And you can sign up on my website for that. <laughs> so the thing I love about the course is that it teaches you how to work with this information field for yourself. Mm. And um, it teaches you how to design questions how to journal, how to receive the information, how to trust yourself. And it really walks you step-by-step step into accessing your own records and the Akashic field. And you can use uh, the Akashic records for any type of creative endeavor or personal growth and tension that you have. So you can write, as we mentioned, with the Akashic records. You can paint. You can make music. Mm. It really is... Um, expanding your own potential to to create and express and grow in this lifetime and you don't need to be highly spiritual or um you know um spending a lot of time meditating even yeah you know having some basic grounding and centering practices are the you know the the minimum you would need right in order to start working in this way right and i guess you know like i'm someone that has always had difficulty meditating um and mm -hmm. recently like found tea ceremonies because i feel like it gave the exercise a container of sorts or like yeah, there was like exactly. a instruction booklet or an activity or just something that sort of like lended itself to the meditative experience. Um, and I feel like because so many of us are either a skeptical, be unsure of how to get started. Like, 
I, I feel like my own discernment or skepticism keeps me from moving forward just because it's just like, I don't know if I can really even like trust myself to do this. Um, right. But with a sort of like guided practice or yep. um, it just becomes a lot easier. It really is sort of like a workbook of sorts to um, just, I feel like exactly. probably develop your meditative, but also like intuitive and just yep. like inward thinking, like we don't need, you know, it doesn't need to be like that fancy. Um, yeah, no, exactly. And in the course we teach, you do get a workbook and a manual of all different types of exercises, questions you can ask. Hmm. Um, and it works best for beginners journaling. Hmm. Um, I journal and I open my own records and type into my computer hmm. because it comes so fast, but many people, you know, prefer writing or drawing um, yeah, and it, it does offer a container for accessing the information and learning to work with it for sure. Right. And it's also like, unlike a past life regression, which I feel like is mostly about past lives. I mean, in our reading, we talked a little bit about that, but it was also about like the future and projects that I had mm -hmm. or had envisioned in this life, right? So it's not just going back to get information to learn about the present, but also gaining insights about the future as well. Yes. And that's one of the other key differences about a psychic reading. So many people go to psychics because they want to like anxiously try to control the future. Yeah. And that's why an Akashic record session is not that great for that intention because in the Akashic field, it contains all the potentiality and possibilities that could be. Now that is usually <laughs> refined to your question and, and, um, you right. know, the information can be startlingly accurate. Um, one client I met with recently who gave me feedback said that the information she received was pinpoint accurate to what, you know, she's dealing with now and what potentialities she might consider for her career. Mm. Um, but yes, it's definitely, um, it offers you a set of possibilities and potential that you may not have considered in relation to whatever question you might ask. And not just like literal either. I mean, I think that's the other issue with the psychic stuff is that it's like, this will happen or this won't happen, or this person will do this right. thing or this won't, but it's like, I'm getting the image of this, you know, mythological figure or like, I, I have this sense of this weather pattern or something right like it, it's not about events per se it's about like lending or I'd love to hear what you have to say about this but sort of like lending more context or um depth to something through um more than just like tangible occurrences or events yes because it contains the full valence of, of that event or occurrence, like what is the emotional, spiritual, um, you know, since it's, since the Akashic field interpenetrates all the different planes and dimensions, you know, right. it, it gives you <laughs> a multidimensional perspective on that thing. Um, so yeah. 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 It's cool. I think, you know, I don't know, one thing that I found valuable about all of these 
spiritual practices and I think specifically astrology because it deals so much with um, symbolism and with archetypes that it it mm-hmm. sort of motivates you to be creative in a way um, right so you're like engaged with something like and I want to hear more about the like rainbow bridge thing that you got because it mm-hmm. that information it didn't say like oh you're you need to start a meditation course right which would have been like kind of boring and not really engaging right. and kind of dull and also like not really fun at least in my version of what living a fun like I don't want someone to tell me what mm-hmm. to do like, I I want to go on a treasure hunt no um, this thing was absolutely a treasure hunt yeah. uh, you know I tried for months in my meditations I'd be like tra- trying these different things like am I have I opened the rainbow bridge Am I on the rainbow bridge? And it was kind of comical, but it gave me an opportunity to get to know myself better. Mm. And then once I discovered the rainbow bridge, it was like, oh, now I totally see how this thing fits into what I, what I'm, what my potential is in this moment. And um, the rainbow bridge is a technique to clear your light body and what we might call your central channel, your astral spine. Um, and it was really helpful for doing Akashic Records work because I started to clear, you might say, the tools I use in my body to channel. Hmm. Um, and now that I'm teaching the Akashic Records, the Rainbow Bridge Meditation is such a great compliment because it helps people to also develop their own intuition. And if they're interested in channeling or working, um, in developing themselves spiritually or even becoming just more self-actualized. Uh, the rainbow bridge is amazing for that. Yeah. Awesome. And so the, the rainbow bridge, the, that is different from the other course that you're offering. Yes. I'm, I'm teaching, um, learn to access and explore your Akashic records, which is an eight week course on Saturdays with my teacher, Sandra Gelinas, who is the person who created the methods we use to access and explore the Akashic records. Um, And that'll be live and um, it'll be a small group where you can share with others whatever your experiences are. And the Rainbow Bridge is something completely different. It's, um, It's actually related to the Theosophist movement and Alice Bailey. And it's something, again, same story. If you had told me, try the rainbow bridge, it comes from theosophism, I would be like, no, thank you. (laughs) Like, that's not my spiritual practice. That's not something I resonate with, et cetera, et cetera. But because it came through my records, I gave it a try and I trusted it. And um, I love it. And I love teaching it. Awesome. Awesome. So the course you're teaching in February is is not necessarily about how to do this for other people, but how to do it for yourself. Yep, it's just for yourself. Yeah. You start working with yourself. Um, this first uh, level is called Module A, and it's to learn to access your own Akashic records. And then if you feel called to work with other people, there's also a next level called Module B, and that's currently taught by my teacher, Sandra Gelinas. Um, And that's the course that I took to learn to work with clients. And in that uh, version of the course, you also learn to access the Akashic records of the things, like other things, anything that we were talking about earlier. 
And for people, like, there are probably a good portion of people who listen to my podcast who know some astrology or have studied astrology uh, with Mm -hmm. me. Um, How do you feel like for yourself, because I know you practice both of those things, um, do you find they complement each other in any way or um, at least symbolically maybe? Well, I frame them both as tools to get perspective on yourself and where you are in this moment and to um, receive a set of information or symbolism or um, it's like to see yourself mirrored back in a different way and hopefully get greater a greater sense of self-acceptance. For me, the difference is that astrology is very rational. Um, I'm using, you know, a particular set of tools, of symbolism, of techniques. And when you come to meet with me, you're receiving my interpretation of where you are. Mm-hmm. And I'm very present in my mind and intellect when mm-hmm. we meet. Right. With the Akashic Records, like I said, I put my rational self to the side. Um, and again, it offers a different perspective on yourself, but it's coming from a source that's not me and my experience and my perspective on astrology. Great. Awesome. Um, but they are both very symbolic. Yeah. Um, what we might call in academia analogic thinking, which is through, you know, analogy or metaphor. Mm. And the skills that I developed in astrology and in my um my experience as an academic and analyzing poetry and language actually come in handy for the Akashic Records work Mm. because I receive images, symbols, feelings, words um, that I have to interpret. Right. Um, And, and that act of interpretation while scary in an Akashic Records session is a joy and I think when you, you know, when you learn to open your own Akashic records and work in your own Akashic field, the symbols and words make sense to you more, I think. Right. But when I don't know the client, yeah. I I have to use my <laughs> my skills of interpretation. And what's interesting is that in a session, usually the information is very front-loaded. Like whatever question the client comes in the beginning, the, whatever couple of questions they ask, the response is always longer, more detailed. Sometimes they give an agenda. And if I don't correctly interpret the information or I miss something because there's just so much coming through, I find that by the end, they always bring me back to the details that I missed. Mm. Um, and like when I end the session, I hardly, I never feel like, oh shit, I forgot to mention X. Like, they always make sure that I, that I'm thorough. Um, which is great because in an astrology reading, I'm like, I've got a list of transits and did I mention this? And what if I forgot a Mercury retrograde, et cetera? (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, Yeah. And I do, I think, like, I remember in our reading, you brought up a couple of different, like, you know, mythological figures or something like that. And I, I think all of these practices in a way sort of coming full circle in regard to this other element of ether, like there is only so much that we can understand using, you know, um, tangible, (laughs) 
Mm -hmm. um, scientific, uh, you know, methods. And the more we are able to understand archetypes and stories and energies and symbols and um, from all sorts of different cultures, I think just like the better equipped we are to figure something out. Um, and it's like, it's such a shame because I think, I mean, I get it in, in certain ways. Of course, I understand why some of these more sort of like subjective spiritual tools will, were put aside, but in the process we're sort of like rendered relatively inept, um, to like fully <laughs> comprehend anything. So yeah, I think it's, it's interesting, um, that although different practices, like they're all helping us get back in touch with these sorts of ways of, of being or experiencing that we, you know, our ancient ancestors used to be extremely familiar with that we're just not. Yeah. And I want to, um, that brings up a point that I want to mention as well, that when I, uh, create the heart light circle and, create this circle of light in which I open your Akashic records, that space where we are in front of the divine can call in your spirit guides um, or your deceased loved ones and ancestors. And it's not always that I'm, and this is my working theory, it's not always that I'm receiving the information through the records. I learn to distinguish when there is a spirit guide there that wishes to comment on the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is an experience just like what you're saying, because sometimes people, often people come with a question, who are my spirit guides? And those, the answer to that question is often sometimes a deity or an archetype, you know, like I'll find myself saying, um, you know, your, your spirit guide is the force that moves, the force of wind that moves along the water. Occasionally, things like that. Yeah. Or, or, um, or I'll receive, you know, a really strong archetype like Joan of Arc. Hmm. Um, or sometimes it's an indigenous god or goddess that I don't know the name of. Um, like one of, uh, one person was really connected to, um, the indigenous goddess of death from the, um, Native Americans or in Puerto Rico. Hmm. And I can't tell what that person's name is, <laughs> right. but I can say that that's who it is. And, and I agree that those experiences that we had in other lifetimes where we were more connected, mm. where we were part of a set of deities or religion or practice, those, those experiences are there to be, to be accessed and explored as well. Yeah. Amazing. This was awesome. I'm like way more intrigued now. <laughs> I mean, not that I I'm wasn't glad. before, but um, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to expand upon all of those things and educate me I, and the listeners. I'm so grateful for having the opportunity to talk about something that I love. So thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, why don't you tell people where they can find you and where they can find more information on your course and then... Um, your book recommendations, which you have come prepared to recommend, yes. which I love. I'm always like people who've been on the podcast multiple times. I'm always like, Oh my God, like I probably just, I should not ask them this stupid question again because they're going to be frustrated, but you like come with the books. Oh no, it come on. It makes me so happy. 
I'm a Gemini rising with an Aquarius sun. I always know what books I'm going to recommend. I love it. Um, So you can find me. My website is Amalthea, A-M-A-L-T-H-E-A dot guide, G-U-I-D-E. And the Akashic Records course is listed under the courses tab on my website or at amalthia.guide forward slash Akashic dash records. And you can also um, book a session there if you'd like to experience this for yourself. And I'm also on Instagram at amalthia.guide. And one of my New Year's resolutions is to post more. So (laughs) follow me and see whether that happens. (laughs) And subscribe to her newsletter uh, which is great, yes. and which I always want to plug when she's on the show. It's like really the only newsletter I read. So thank it's you. It's legit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and the books that I'm going to recommend are Science and the Akashic Field, An Integral Theory of Everything by Irvin, E-R-V-I-N, Laszlo, L-A-S-Z-L-O. And he has a bunch of other books in this series about the Akashic field. Um. And then there's a book that I didn't, I intended to talk about and I didn't get a chance to. It's called Journey of Your Soul by Shepard Hoodwin, H O O D W I N. And I just completely fell in love with this book. I discovered it recently. Shepard Hoodwin is a channeler who channels a group soul on the causal plane named Michael. And He's just an incredible writer, and he this book, Journey of Your Soul, covers a lot of the topics that we talked about today mm. in terms of what is your soul, how do you separate from source, um, and it has like a 100-page introduction to that book on channeling, mm. like what happens when you channel. It also has a lot of information about the Akashic Records, and that, and then it goes on to describe something called the Michael charts, which are a way to understand yourself through the teachings of this entity called Michael. And there's a lot of detail there, but I, I love the book because yeah, like what I said, it just breaks down in, in very clear language. Um, unlike the Irvin Laszlo, which is all about quantum physics. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, journey of your soul by Shepard Hoodwin. Amazing. Well, and thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I'll get you your your five episode trophy soon. <laughs> yes. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Till next time. Bye. Hello again. Thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation with Jenny. I hope some of you are able to take her course. I really want to take her course and absolutely would if I wasn't currently in Thailand, uh, which would make the courses between 1230 and 3.30 a.m. in the morning, uh, which is probably not a smart decision for myself. Um, But I do hope she teaches it again and I will definitely be taking it because it sounds amazing and because I trust her and because I would love to engage in these realms uh, more in my life and have these tools available to me. If you would like to support the podcast, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz is where to do that. Not only do you get to help uh, provide me with the financial stability needed to continue this project, but you also get access to lots of perks in the form of a book club and a discord server and workshops, playlists, stickers, contact list, etc, etc. 
um, and an amazing, amazing community of like-minded humans that I know will know each other and support each other for life. And that makes me incredibly happy and incredibly grateful and is honestly the driving force behind the show is helping you all meet each other uh, and support each other for years to come. Like, fuck, that's amazing. Uh, thank you to those of you who already donate, who have been donating for years. You are the pulsing life blood of this project and the show, and it would absolutely not be the same without you. You inspire me to keep going. You give me endless ideas. You are so incredibly talented and, um, yeah, I, I'm speechless as to how grateful I am for this community. So thank you. I'm going to play you out today with a song called Spinning Away by Brian Eno and John Cale. This is really beautiful. I um, encourage you to look at the lyrics. I don't know if you guys know this, but now on Spotify, you can like look at the lyrics as they're being sung. I think it's like a karaoke option or something, but it's really cool. Um, these lyrics are incredibly powerful and poetic and are very much open to interpretation, just like our subconscious. So... Enjoy the song and enjoy the beautiful musical subjectivity of your mind. And I will catch you all next time. Sending you love. Bye. <laughs>